The House Budget Committee will soon combine bills to repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act, better known as Obamacare, that were passed this week by two other House panels. Republicans are getting closer to bringing their bill to the floor. But differences among conservatives and criticism from interest groups is weighing on the effort. I'm Sean Zeller, and this is CQ Roll Call's Week Ahead podcast. Joe Williams, who sat through one of the marathon markups for us, is here today. Welcome, Joe. Thanks for having me, Sean. So I just used one of those lingo, congressional lingo terms, markup. You sat through it. What's a markup and what happened? So what the uh, House Energy and Commerce and House Ways and Means Committee were doing was uh, taking up the uh, GOP repeal bill to get rid of large portions um, of the Obamacare law. Uh, So what went on during this is Democrats uh, were basically trying to make the process as difficult as they could for Republicans. They were bringing up a lot of uh, potentially damaging amendments and using a lot of rhetoric around what this bill would do um, the lack of of score from the Congressional Budget Office and analysis of exactly how many individuals this could impact and what this would do to the deficit. Throughout the hearing, you you heard a lot of, um, especially in mind because of the jurisdictional issues, um, a lot of the concerns in the Energy and Commerce Committee related to Medicaid, related to the effect that some of the laws provisions would have on more older populations. It was kind of an area of grievances for Democrats and a situation where Republicans kind of just had to grin and bear it and get through the process so it could advance to the Budget Committee and then eventually to the House floor. Right. And it's pretty unusual to do this in one fell swoop where they're doing it for, what was it, 27 hours at Energy and Commerce? Yes, it was. I think there's definitely a pressure among leadership to get this done as quick as possible. I think the Senate and the House leaders both want to have this done in this work period, which would mean having it done by about mid-April. To be able to do that, they have to get this over to the Senate as quick as possible. So I think, you know, the goal is to have it by the third week in March. And to be able to do that, you needed to finish these markups this week so we could go to budget and rules and then go to the House floor by um, in, in about two weeks from now. Right. The budget committee has to now combine the two pieces that energy and commerce and ways and means considered this week. And then the rules committee sets the terms for floor debate. So, Joe, we've heard that conservatives amongst the Republicans have raised concerns. They've called this Obamacare light, in fact. And meanwhile, senators from states that expanded Medicaid using the provision in Obamacare that allows that, they're worried about losing that expansion. Did any of that come out in the markup where you were? It did. And it it really puts... Republicans in a difficult situation because um, you, you have, especially on energy and commerce, you know, a few representatives who are from those states that did expand Medicaid and trying to appease both the hardline conservatives that you know, want uh, some of these provisions dialed back versus the, you know, more moderate conservatives that would probably be happy if some of those provisions were enhanced a little bit. In the Energy and Commerce Committee specifically, Representative Joe Barton was planning to introduce an amendment that would end the Medicaid expansion in 2018. Under the current GOP proposal, that expansion would continue until 2020. The, he withdrew the amendment with the expectation that it could come up later in the process. That would be a very difficult amendment for for more moderate Republicans to vote for because it would it would have a drastic effect on the current Medicaid population in a lot of these states. Mm-hmm. Now, Barton's from Texas. They did not expand Medicaid. They did not. So and he... the senators who, who wrote a letter to their leader, Mitch McConnell, last week, Rob Portman, Lisa Murkowski among them, 
Shelley Moore Capito from West Virginia. They were from states, Ohio, Alaska, West Virginia, that did expand Medicaid. Yes. And, um, you know, what that expansion did was allow these states to cover a more expansive population with a higher federal match. Or the way that the GOP proposal is structured is that expansion would end the in 2020. It would cap enrollment. No individuals would be able to en- enroll under the enhanced expansion match. But those individuals that are still on it would continue to be covered under the amounts that they're covered right now. So it was kind of an olive branch of these states of we know you have this expansion population and we know that the government has been providing enhanced funding. We will continue to do that. But with that, they imposed some new requirements that would hopefully phase individuals out of that expansion. So one of the key ones is if you qualify outside of those expansion boundaries, you are transitioned off of Medicaid and you are not allowed to re-enroll under that expansion population. So the idea is get people off of the Medicaid, bring people onto the individual exchanges or hopefully employer insurance if they were to get jobs and to really try to reduce that population as much as possible. Now, Medicaid is the program, the federal state program, both provide funding for it that covers the poor. Obamacare expanded it to include some of the working poor. And that was the big piece of, most successful piece of Obamacare. It's uh, added 10 million insured people in the country, right? Mm -hmm. So, Joe, the Democrats are trying to make the Republicans uh, sound pretty incompassionate about the way they're approaching this, and they're focusing on that Medicaid piece. Do they see that as an Achilles heel of the bill? Uh, I do. I think, you know, there's two main Um, areas that Democrats are attacking Republicans, and Medicaid is one of the big ones. I think that there's a concern that this is going to really restrict states and force them to make some really severe and and, and, uh, potentially, you know, very difficult decisions about what to cover, who to cover, um, what populations to ensure that there's uh, funding for. Or the way that they're proposing to change this is to institute a system where the states would be given bulk funding based upon certain categories blind, disabled, women, children, and then let the states kind of allocate where that funding will go. The concern among Democrats is over time, you know, that funding would not keep up with the population of the Medicaid program. And because of that, you would start to see cuts to certain individuals or certain um, age groups, that kind of thing. And so really the question is, you know, are states going to be able to cover the same amount of individuals that they still do? And Democrats say, no, not under what the GOP is proposing. There's a second really big area here that has to do with the tax credits. Currently under the Obamacare law, there's a lot of subsidy payments that are given to help people afford insurance. The tax credits that the Republicans are proposing um, are, are not to that same level. So you're going to see a reduction in the amount of money that individuals are given to help them afford their monthly premiums. And there's a lot of concern, especially for older individuals, of whether the tax credits will be able to cover the same amount of of, uh, their monthly premiums as the subsidy payments do. The vote in the Energy and Commerce Committee was still a party-line vote. There were no breaks among the Republicans. So does that indicate something going in towards the floor vote, that maybe there's more unity on the GOP side than we expected? Um, You know, a lot of those hardline conservative members aren't part of energy and commerce or ways and means. Um, So they were able, I think, to sidestep a lot of the public debate for that reason. But I, I do think that there's a lot of members on the 
Energy and Commerce Committee specifically who would be in favor of such provision. I, I think the concern is getting 218 um, on the House floor to be able to pass it onto the Senate. Right. 218 is a majority, <laughs> and they can only afford to lose, what is it, 25 Republicans, assuming Democrats are united in opposition. Or this bill would not pass. Yes. And, uh, you know, I do think that, again, there are some members on Energy and Commerce who would be supportive of, of, of ending that Medicaid expansion quicker, but they also don't want to jeopardize losing the moderates who might back out if that Medicaid expansion were to be ended quicker than 2020. So again, it's, it's really a balancing act. And when you talk to a lot of these Republicans, you know, they'll be very forthright and say, we want to end Obamacare and we're ready to vote for anything that would do that. You, when you start to get to the, the fringe sides, then it starts to become, well, what can we do to bring them on board to make sure we have the number that we have to be able to pass this on to the Senate? And the challenge is getting those conservatives satisfied without angering the moderate Republicans from those Medicaid expansion states. Exactly. So, Joe, sitting through these 27 hours, were there any particularly dramatic moments? There were a few. You know, for the large part, it, it, it was kind of, I think, what a lot of folks expected, that Democrats, again, were going to hammer the lack of analysis by Congressional Budget Office, that they were going to... Um, Blast Republicans say that this bill essentially amounts to a tax break for the wealthy while increasing health care costs, especially for um, older Americans. There were some moments of very robust discussion, especially when you got to the Medicaid part, what formula that the government was going to use to be able to determine what the amount of funding for the per capita caps would be, which is the model that the GOP is uh, moving forward with in their proposal. There was a few more contentious moments. There was a lengthy debate about the abortion provisions in the bill um, that would essentially defund Planned Parenthood. Um, that happened you know, very early in the morning. So I think members were pretty tired and, and not necessarily wanting to uh, engage in such a robust discussion about the morality of abortion. There was one kind of gaffe from Representative John Shimkus where he questioned— Republican from Illinois. Yes, where he uh, questioned whether or not men should be buying insurance policies that covered— um, prenatal care. Um, and Democrats were quick to, to jump on that. And that happened, you know, earlier on in the process. But, you know, largely, um, I think Republicans were expecting that this was going to be a contentious process, that Democrats were going to use this to delay as much as possible. And for the most part, you know, I think uh, understood that that was the process and knew that it was a waiting game until they could vote the actual bill out of committee. Mm -hmm. There was one moment right with Joe Kennedy, the congressman from Massachusetts, a young congressman, uh, heir to the Kennedy political legacy. Uh, what happened there? Yes. Uh, so Kennedy, um, Representative Kennedy has been a very strong advocate uh, for the mental health community. Um, and during the discussion, he questioned um, the committee's counsel around some of the key provisions related to Medicaid coverage for that population. And the counsel, um, after some back and forth, uh, confirmed that under some Medicaid plans, insurers would be able to not cover some um, mental health care services. So currently under the law, there's something known as essential health benefits. And it's it's coverage areas that insurers are mandated by law to cover. On some of the Medicaid pro, uh, plans under the GOP proposal, the, those insurance um, companies would be able to not cover those mental health care services, and it would not be a violation of the current statute. Now, you've mentioned the Congressional Budget Office a couple of times. This is an independent agency, nonpartisan agency. Their job is to look at proposed legislation and determine what it's going to cost. 
and uh, you know what effect it's going to have in this case on the number of uninsured people in the country. So why um, why isn't there a CBO score yet, and why is that important in this debate? You know, there's two really key reasons why both Republicans and Democrats are very eager to see a CBO score. One, it will say what impact does this bill have on the deficit? There's a lot of concerns about whether um, the Republicans can actually pay for some of the things that they are proposing because they're repealing a lot of the main revenue drivers in the original Obamacare law. The second is it will give an estimate about of how many individuals would likely lose insurance coverage under the GOP proposal. And the expectation among a lot of outside groups and a lot of outside experts is you could be looking at millions of individuals under this proposal losing health care coverage, which would be in violation of some of the vows that President Trump has made that nobody will lose insurance or their current insurance coverage under the GOP proposal. It was something that came up repeatedly throughout the entire um, hearing. And I think it'll change the debate a lot um, once that comes out, because you'll start to see hard numbers of, again, how does this impact the deficit? How does this impact the budget? And um, exactly how many individuals could be impacted by what the Republicans are proposing? Mm. Now, Republicans are using this arcane process known as budget reconciliation to pass the bill, which the purpose of which is to get it done with 50 Senate votes, not the 60 that's required for most contentious legislation. Um, but reconciliation requires that this bill cut the deficit, right? And so is that CBO score playing in? If it comes back saying it's going to increase the deficit, does that, uh, what does that do to this whole process? Yeah, so it, it, the under the current reconciliation bills, or the current reconciliation instructions that were sent to the four committees of jurisdiction on both in both the House and the Senate, this bill would need to cut the deficit by $2 billion over 10 years. So the CBO score is really important here because um, if it does not do that, uh, the Democrats or could raise a point of order against this process because it would not be compliant with the reconciliation instructions. You already see some pushback from Republicans on whether CBO is viewing this in a, in a completely nonpartisan way. I think at the markup, Representative Steve Scalise, who is the majority whip, uh, blasted unelected bureaucrats a number of times referring to the head of CBO. It was an interesting criticism because the CBO is actually appointed by Speaker Ryan. Um, but you've seen you know, him and a number of Republicans questioning exactly what, exactly how the CBO uses their analysis and seem to be kind of putting a shadow of a doubt over whether it can be trusted. Thanks for coming on, Joe. Yeah, thanks, John. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.